Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Are you fascinated by true crime like us? If so, check out our podcast, Crime Divers, hosted by me, Jill. And me, Laura. Look out for new episodes every Tuesday when we discuss true crime from around the world. So what are you waiting for? Come join us as we dive in. friends and enemies hello bd wong it's perhaps it's you everyone's favorite unsolved mysteries rewatch podcast i'm liz i'm samantha and we're still here at the end of the world just (laughs) clinging to the last vestiges of hope we're not clinging very hard i feel like i'm hanging (laughs) on by a thread i don't know (laughs) i don't know about you but they made these like new kids in the hall sketches. I'm sure Samantha doesn't know what I'm talking about, but there's one where Dave Foley is like a radio DJ and he just keeps playing Melanie's brand new key over and over again during the apocalypse for like apparently no one, just like in a bunker somewhere in his little radio station. It's the only record he has left. <laughs> and he just keeps playing it and playing it as the like mutant hordes are coming or something. And I really, really relate like so much. Like what? What are we? Try- Why are we making this unsolved mysteries podcast? Right. It does seem like the most insignificant thing imaginable, but you know we gotta. This is just how much I like the five listeners. It's like, well, we gotta keep doing it for them. Well, exactly. So I do have some updates on that note. Uh, if you are in our Facebook group or maybe follow us on social media, you may have seen us um, post a GoFundMe for friend of the pod Arden who has some unexpected funeral expenses and i was very touched and uh my heart grew two sizes or something to see some familiar names from our listeners that you guys contributed to the uh, emergency funeral front is just so nice and sweet and moving yeah thank you so um, much yeah no we we really do have the best listeners um the enemies, I mean, get out. I'm I'm sick of making free content for them. Enemies <laughs> hit the bricks, but the the friends, oh man, can't get enough of you guys. So sweet. Um, also in updates along that, we got such a nice review. Can I read this like really nice review we got? Um, I'm gonna say yes. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. <laughs> oh right, I almost forgot. Um, here, oh, sorry, I gotta pull it up. We had this really nice review from a new listener named Alice, and this was so sweet that I cried. So that's that's the power of a five-star review, everybody. Okay. This is from Alice Stacks, who's apparently no relation. Five stars. Five stacks for a protection spell. Which aunties? Your podcast has gotten me through some tough stuff lately. I love the unapologetic care for humanity and our Mother Earth in the face of some pretty rough times. I dug around a graveyard and found these five Robert Stacks to give you. (laughs) I also would like to request that you cast a protection spell for me and all the other genderqueer folks out here. You're the most powerful witches I know, and your blessing would truly be, well, yeah. May the cackling outlast us all, Alice. I mean... So sweet! That does make it feel a little less pointless. So 
Thank you, Al. We'll work on this protection spell. I, we're not very powerful witches. I'm sorry to say. No, I'm not actually a witch at all. I, I respect yeah. witches. Same. Uh, but, I mean, I'm willing to to figure out how we could get a real witch to cast a protection spell. Yeah, I, I would consider myself a fan. I'm not a witch. I'm just like, yeah, in support of the whole deal. But I have no spiritual life. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we'll look into maybe getting this, this spell done from someone more powerful than us. Since we're you in the do live in the witch district, after all, I might be able to find a witch or two. Um, yeah, got bleak, bleak times. How are you doing, Samantha? How are you hanging in there? <laughs> well, you're I'm, like I'm here. Yeah, I mean that's I'm alive. That's step one. Step one. It, I'm fine. I, you know, the Supreme as Court fine as you could be. Barely recognizes my right to exist, but here I am. <sighs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. God. I. I don't know why I always feel like I'm supposed to have something like really fucking profound and deep to say in these moments, even though this is an Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. <laughs> People I, are really looking to us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For guidance. I don't, I don't know who is like, okay, well, I'll turn on Perhaps It's You. They'll know what to do. So I really, I really don't. No, I really. Sucks. I don't even know what else to say. I feel like. <laughs> I feel like I'm so at the end of my rope already. Which I, I think is kind of part of the plan. It's just like to wear us all the fuck down. But yeah. I mean, that's working. Because I am burnt out. <sighs> As someone with like very few responsibilities, probably shouldn't be. But you know what? It comes for us all. I'm bur- <laughs> I am burnt the fuck out. Yeah, I have very little left to be <laughs> to be honest. But you know what I have left, I'm giving to our five listeners. So yeah, exactly. Uh, our five listeners have been so supportive and sweet to us. It's really like all we can manage to do to keep making this podcast every couple of weeks. And this one's going to be out late. And you know what? We're on. It's honestly the best we can fucking do. And it's not that good. And that's it's that's still the case. <laughs> I, there's nothing more to say about it. This is the best I can do. This is really the best, the most effort we can put forward at this time and the highest quality products that we can achieve. And you can go like, well, that's not very good. It's like, well, it's also free. So <laughs> um, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't support abortion rights, I'm going to just need you to fuck off. You're not allowed to listen to this anymore. I really don't actually need your downloads. So. I this podcast is pretty much like an abject failure. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it's been chugging along for years, but it's not like making us money or you know, it's pay- us famous. Or we both still have to have jobs. Yeah, yeah, it, it pays for itself, and we appreciate our patrons, and we appreciate that they let us like you know go on some fun field trips or stuff. But we're not like you know cutting deals and <laughs> live in this like i don't podcast existence so that in a way the benefit of that is that we have nothing to lose and mm-hmm. that includes losing you if you <laughs> if you don't support abortion rights i don't want to give you free entertainment and i don't care that i don't get that download or whatever this we're not making this for you we didn't like scrape together our last remaining little bits and bobs of energy to make this for you no fuck off go away go away i want absolutely nothing to do with you even like 
remotely indirectly through the internet i don't even want you to hear my voice like no sorry we're done we are not friends you do not get to listen to this podcast i i mean i don't want your dollar like nope yep that's it i do sort of feel like all men owe me money but that's probably not like a rational (laughs) that's probably not like a rational feeling and it also you probably shouldn't give it to me give it to like something helpful but that definitely was a, a thought I've had more than once. Or I was just like, how dare everyone? <laughs> this should not be the way that things are. This is real grim. <sighs> uh, it's just one, you know, it's just one thing after another. God. Mm-hmm. It's rough. It's rough out there. I'm so sorry, everyone. Really. Unless you're a huge asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't want you listening to this. <laughs> But I know, I know our listeners are very, like, I don't know, how, just good people, responsible, chill, understanding, empathetic, whatever, people that feel our pain. Yeah, well, of course they are. They, they listen and love us, so. <laughs> who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Who couldn't? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have anything more to say about that, really. I'm just, like, very... I'm angry and incoherent and like so tired, just so tired. That's a yeah. That's a that pretty much sums it up. I don't. There's nothing more to say really. I also feel like on some level, maybe you feel this way too. Where I was like, I already got mad about this. Like I already kind of knew this was going to happen ages ago when Trump got elected, and now we're just like experiencing the you know full ramifications of that you know the like dominoes of that and i was like i I was already mad i like i don't have any more energy i was already very upset about this well i mean so it leaked right like a month ago so i was already mad about it then right right and now i gotta be mad about it all over again and yeah you're right there's it's it's just it's an exhausting cycle like what am i gonna have to be mad about today (laughs) i know i know it's just Look, hang in there. Keep barking. I don't know. I don't know. Don't let those fucking bastards win. Live out of spite. Well, yeah. There you go. There's the wisdom we can pass off to you. Live out of spite. Live out of spite. Look to little Nas X, my patron saint of spite, who exists, I swear, just to bother people. (laughs) And it's so beautiful. It's so majestic. And I go, yes, there's so much wisdom here from someone so young. <laughs> someone so spiteful. Oh, God. Okay. My only other update I had was that if you are not totally sick of the sound of my voice, I was recently once again on an episode of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries with Josh. Because I don't know what happened to Mike again. He's sick or something. <laughs> So I hope you're feeling better, Mike. (laughs) Hope you're feeling better, Mike. And um, that was that was fun to do. Except that I got the Amy Bradley case, which we're gonna have to talk about. Okay, if we're still doing this fucking show in like season ten or eleven, I'm gonna have to talk about that again. It's a big if at this point, but it sure is. And it's a woman that went uh just missing from a cruise ship never fucking seen again and i went down a like whole rabbit hole with that and uh i don't think i can ever go on a cruise ship again well covid's never going away so you're not getting me on a cruise ship. yeah i mean i 
I, it would have to be in this like idyllic world where that somehow seems like not an issue. And I don't know that that will ever happen anyway, but literally this woman's family saw her at like five 30 in the morning. And by six, she was gone and no one ever saw her again. And great. It's just terrifying. It's so terrifying. And I'm so sad for her family and her family has like never given up looking for her. And uh, but that was, I was also like, Josh, what is like, what is wrong with us? We could be talking about anything. We're talking about this poor missing woman. It's so depressing. Well, obviously that'll be the podcast that gets her found. I'm sure. I'm sure this all has a great point. <laughs> That's leading to something really great. Sorry. I was drinking my smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> I want that on a tilt bag for some reason. <laughs> Like, sorry, what? Oh, I was drinking a smoothie. I don't really care what you're talking about. <laughs> More than fine. I barely have time for this podcast, let alone other podcasts. So you talk about the podcast you've been on. I'm going to drink my smoothie. <laughs> I think Josh said something like, well, if Samantha gets sick, you know, I could come on your show. And I was like, if Samantha stops doing this podcast, I'm never. This doesn't exist. <laughs> like if Samantha, like, falls in a well or something. There's no more <laughs> podcast. So I'll just go, oh, well, that was an interesting phase of my life. <laughs> I'll look back <laughs> on this fondly, most mostly. Most, for the most part. I'll be happy I did that. And I'll put it away with my X-Files scrapbook. <laughs> <laughs> and go, oh, yes, memories. <laughs> okay, so what episode are we even on? Ten. Okay, we're on season seven. Episode <sighs> ten. We're going to give you a rundown of what happened in this episode. What a boring ass episode. So I think half this episode is talking about is is investigators, which is arguably the worst. I know a lot of people don't like the Lost Loves. We love Lost Loves. So they're, yeah, I they're hate- just entitled to their wrong opinion, I guess. But I dislike the investigators. It's too pro cop, certainly for this day and age. And often it's like ignoring the fact that the reason this mystery is unsolved is because the police did a terrible job. Yeah. Like, which, you know, even if the the past few years had not been the past few years, just spending time watching this show, I feel like you'll go, huh? (laughs) So are you telling me that cops really don't help? And you're like, yes, (laughs) clear. Look, just watch unsolved mysteries. (laughs) What I don't appreciate is having to do a lot of extra work to figure out if these people have been canceled or if they turned uh, into abject yeah. weirdos. Which seems to be most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, like, are we going to get canceled? And I mean, I'm honestly surprised we haven't yet. I was going to say, will we just go like, oh, so that's done then. And it'll just be like, <laughs> well, a relief. You don't wonder when, we're g- when it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We're just like, I-, I guess we're done podcasting. Sorry about that, everyone. I could never be the type of person that gets canceled and then just like continues on. God, no, no. I would just like I would never show my face in public again. Yeah, I'm I'm practically to that now, and I haven't done anything to my knowledge. I just I have no concept of like what it must be like to live your life without shame. <laughs> I guess when yeah, you get enough no. money, maybe like the you just can afford not to have any shame. I don't know, but I think you need 
need to have a lot of money and probably also been raised with a lot of money so that you it never even occurred to you to have shame yeah because right. we've probably learned it right now so even if we become like millionaires i don't are we gonna like go around not tipping no so embarrassing right yeah no <laughs> so i think you have to i don't know you might have to be raised just to like only give a fuck about yourself i'm not really sure yeah huh huh all right well cyril weck is an american forensic pathologist and we're going to talk about him in our first segment today <sighs> um Look, there's psychic powers in this, baby. Yeah, well, he doesn't have any psychic powers, but <laughs> but the the folks that you are talking about have psychic. Oh, powers. you're right. I'm already skipping to to the second segment. I'm sorry. Go ahead. To my knowledge, Cyril Wecht isn't a psychic, but you know, I don't know for sure. He no, doesn't say he's I'm, not. I'm already looking at my notes for the second segment and not letting you talk. My apologies. So Cyril Wecht has been the president of both the American Academy of Forensic Sciences and the American College of Legal Medicine and headed the board of trustees of the American Board of Legal Medicine. He served as the county commissioner um, and county medical examiner uh, in the Pittsburgh metropolitan area. And he is perhaps best known for his, okay, so this, okay, I took, by the way, this is not from Unsolved Mysteries. I took this off of Wikipedia because I wanted to know what he's been up to. Uh, He's perhaps now best known for his criticism of the Warren Commission's findings concerning the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, Oh, okay. So if you're curious about that, in 1972, Wecht was the first civilian ever given permission to examine the Kennedy assassination evidence, and it was Wecht who first discovered that Kennedy's brain and all the related data in the killing had gone missing. Um, He also, I guess he, like, associated himself with um, Roger Stone. Like, him and Roger Stone made a documentary about the Kennedy assassination. So, I don't know do it that way you will um in this episode we are talking about him as the quote real life sherlock holmes according to robert stack uh wecht says that he enjoys the intellectual challenge of investigating deaths and that he also enjoys helping people robert stack says that in 1993 a man named seth floyd was found hanging by the neck in his county jail the authorities said it was suicide but dr wecht proved it was murder um, he also helped a doctor who spent several years in prison for murder prove that the deaths attributed him, to him were accidental and his conviction was overturned. Um, also, the death of eight-year-old Tanya Palmer, which was initially thought to be an accidental drowning, at least according to her mother's boyfriend, who was watching her at the time. Oh, shit. Uh, it turns out that the boyfriend murdered Tanya. He drowned her in the bathroom and uh, Dr. Wecht was able to prove that. <clears throat> Can you imagine? No, I really can't. It's horrible. Uh, horrible. Obviously, obviously, she should be allowed to drown him, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm gonna say I don't really believe in the death penalty, but I'm gonna say yes. Yeah, I mean, no, that's where I am too. I don't agree with the death penalty. The state should not be allowed to be <laughs> okay. There's the distinction. <laughs> However, this mother out of vengeance, You're I right. say, I say yes. Actually, yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> So there is, however, one case that continues to haunt him. Um, 
And Robert Sack says, perhaps we, the viewers, can provide Dr. Weck with the clue that could help him finally solve this controversial case. And I don't know why I found that so funny. I was kind of like, if this dude, who's apparently like this well-respected, uh, very successful physician slash medical examiner can't <laughs> can't solve this case, me on my couch eating Cheetos is going to be able to provide that one clue that finally <laughs> solves it. That's the dream. Samantha. Yeah. Don't take that dream away from us. Obviously, I'm going to be watching a fucking 20-year-old episode of Forensic Files. And somehow, yeah, be like... You're going to have the eureka moment. Yeah. Call well, the like, call center and... Wait a minute. That's this That's this house. Which that means... And then I, yeah, I find the clue. I, like, dig a bullet out of a wall. And I'm like, see, he's innocent. Yeah, that would be great. So the mystery is 20, it's the death of uh, Jack Davis Jr. 20-year-old Jack Davis Jr. of Penn Hill was a sophomore at Indiana University in Pennsylvania. On the night of Friday, October 16th, 1987, he attended a party with his fraternity brothers. Later that night, he went to some taverns in the downtown Indiana area. He never returned to his um, apartment. This is very weird. Yeah, it is actually pretty weird. A few days later, on Wednesday, October 21st, he was found dead next to Wayden Tall? I think I pronounced that wrong. At the bottom of an exterior staircase. Authorities believed that Jack had died accidentally. They theorized that he went to the staircase to urinate, and due to his state of intoxication, he passed out, vomited, and inhaled the vomitus into his lung, which suffocated him. The original pathologist ruled that his death was an accident, determining that he died early Saturday morning. However, Jack's family was not convinced of the official scenario, and two years later, a friend told them to contact pathologist Dr. Cyril Weck to help with the case. I don't buy this either, and I mostly don't buy this explanation because it requires him being dead at the bottom of the stairwell at a busy dorm for, five, for five days. I don't know if I wrote down the number of people that had access to the windows around because the whole staircase was surrounded by dorms. And I think it was like upwards of 100 people could have had access to those windows that overlooked the staircase. And there's just no way that no one would have seen him. Also, so it makes very little sense. There's a bunch of other stuff that doesn't add up either. Yeah, and just dorm life is very nosy. So I can't imagine that something like that could be a miss yeah, no. for any period of time and nobody would go check it out or, you know, yeah. notify their RA or whatever. Like, no, I just don't. I just fundamentally don't believe it. No, it makes no sense. So Dr. Wecht was immediately puzzled by the fact that nobody could see Jack's body for the day. Um, this is what we were just talking about. He was puzzled why nobody saw his body for the days that it had been laying in the staircase. And he also did not understand why Jack chose to urinate in this certain place where he was found. He believes that Jack, um, in an inebriated state, would have not gone to such great lengths to conceal himself while urinating. This was funny because he was like, yeah. he was like, dudes will pee anywhere. This guy had to like, I mean, this was a not any this where he was found was nowhere near where he was partying. And so it's like, why would he walk this entire way to like hide in a staircase and pee? Dudes just whip it out and pee on the front lawn. Yeah, he would have just peed in a bush. And this guy's right. It's just really funny to have to argue that for like legal reasons. <laughs> You're like, uh, excuse me, Your Honor. I believe it's common knowledge that uh drunk dudes, will dudes just pee in a bush. <laughs> 
Yeah. I don't think they discreetly go downstairs into this like little, you know, it's like the basement stairway yeah, of there's... the dorm. Also, that was just a guess. They he wasn't like laying in a puddle of urine. They don't know no. that he was down there to urinate. The original investigators were just fucking guessing on all of these things. It I feel was like, like we like... say things like they theorized and it makes it sound like there's a reason, but they just literally guessed. And I do understand that, you know, it's a college campus. Um, he was seen at a party. Maybe it's a good, it's not the worst guess, but it is just a guess. Yeah, it's not, it's not proven. No. Yeah. No, he didn't say, hey, I'm going to go piss in the staircase to anybody. And then not get seen for five days. No. Yeah, they just literally guessed. So according to the original report, there was no alcohol found in his bloodstream, even though he was hmm. supposedly drinking heavily the night of his death. Wecht also found another discrepancy, which is that he was clean-shaven on Friday night, but when he was found dead, he had heavy stubble on his face. The evidence seemed to suggest that he had died later than Saturday morning. I think he said he would have had to have been alive for like 30 hours after the party in order for him to have literally zero trace of alcohol in his bloodstream when he was dead. Hmm. So it really does not add up. And this was all information that Wecht got in the original file. (laughs) So I don't really understand how the original pathologist could find no alcohol and say that he died because he was so drunk that he threw up. Yeah, I guess they were just assuming that test was wrong. But I don't I don't know that you can just do that. Just be like, well, we didn't find any alcohol, but that must not be right. But he must have died because he was too drunk. It makes no wonder his family didn't believe these people. Yeah, this is a joke. Uh, So he also found that the cause of death, which was choking on vomit, was impossible because the food particles that were because there was zero food particles found in his lungs. Okay, and I love that throughout this whole thing, uh, there's like this official I don't remember his title, but he was a spokesperson for it. He wasn't the man who did the the original pathologist, but he was like an investigator or someone. And he like Unsolved Mysteries keeps cutting to him to like explain these findings like okay so why if supposedly he died choking on vomit where there was there no food particles found in his lungs and this guy has to be like well our um our original pathologist uh based on what he saw uh was uh certain and it's like okay it's just wrong <laughs> just admit yeah. that it's wrong yeah nope. like it, you can't expect to be right 100 of the time but if you can't admit when you're wrong, then that's like actually more harmful. Right. I mean, this pathologist was clearly just bad at his job. So Wecht found that the pathologist who completed the autopsy had not opened the skull, which it seems like he just made up his mind what the cause of death was and decided to go no further in the autopsy. Sounds very lazy. Yeah. Um, his body was exhumed for another autopsy, and Wecht found three areas of fracture in the cranial vault of Jack's skull. He determined that the fractures were the cause of death, not choking on vomit. Hmm. Well, it does make more sense. And I do think this doesn't necessarily mean he was murdered. Like, he was found at the bottom of a staircase. I mean, they go back and forth about whether or not he could have fallen, but it definitely wasn't he was drunk. Right. And, yeah choked on his own vomit so Wecht then visited the staircase where Jack was found he did not believe that Jack had fallen or been thrown to his death Um, he also believed that it was impossible for someone not to have seen his body lying in the staircase because there was clear views from the windows above as we said earlier all right maybe you know the answer to this question for me so 
it's a myth, right, that your hair continues to grow after you die. I'm almost it, certain that's true. I think the reason it your hair can get longer is because like your skin dribbles or like like there's shrinkage of the tissues, and so that could. It looks like the hair gets longer, but really... right, and you're same with your nails. I think. Okay, because they were talking about the stubble, and I was kind of wondering if. Mm you know, it would appear to have grown after he died or not. But I don't I guess really know. I don't know enough to say if that's possible or not. I'll, but I will say, like, he had, he was supposedly clean, completely clean shaven the night he was last seen. And if the, if you believe the original pathologist, it doesn't make any sense why when he was found dead that he had heavy, they call it heavy stubble. I really okay. don't know what that means, but um, I can't imagine that you, it would, you would go from clean shaven to like noticeable heavy stubble but maybe someone who knows more about dead bodies can tell us yeah that's just something i was wondering yeah i mean it's a good question um a witness later told jack's family that the staircase was empty two days before his body was found also his body and clothing were not wet despite the fact that it had been raining heavily in the days prior i mean i just feel like i don't know what the you know the school is like but I can't. I just can't imagine he's lying there for five days. Like, People no... use the staircase. I assume it's not like an unused staircase. I don't think. Or like, surely there's like grounds crew. You know, there's right. cleaning staff coming out and out in and out of this building. Even if you're like, well, they're a bunch of college students. Like, they're not trustworthy. But there's other people that that work there and are coming and going and like, yeah. You know, someone's going into the dorm to like you know, clean bathrooms and maintain washer dryers and whatever. Right. For five days? Yeah, it, make, it doesn't make any sense. So Dr. Wecht believed that Jack died or was injured elsewhere before being placed in the staircase. Dr. Wecht's findings convinced authorities to reopen the case in October of 1990. County prosecutors decided to reclassify Jack's death as suspicious. However, little new evidence was uncovered and the case was closed again. Authorities still believe that Jack's death was accidental. Wecht and Jack's family hope that new information will come forward and that somebody from the college will bring new information to the police. Um, let's see if Unsolved Mysteries has more information. Okay, um, there's a reporter, Marlene Brennan, who believes that Jack's death may have been the result of a feud between two fraternities. According to several mm. witnesses, there were at least five fights on campus that night. Um, Marlene believes that he was involved in one and was injured. She also believes that he was held somewhere and that the people thought he was going to get better. However, he eventually succumbed to his injuries, um, at which time he was placed in the staircase. This theory has not been confirmed. That's fucking terrifying. This is a similar to a theory. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. I don't remember people's names. But we talked years ago about a case where a guy left a Halloween party and was eventually found in a ravine that had already been searched. And so the theory was that he got hurt at the party and the kids yeah. didn't want to admit they were having a party. So they, like, were keeping him on this right. cot in, like, a basement or something until he died. So it's kind of similar to that. Yeah. Um, but the so, idea of just like, I don't know, why are these people are what, like 19, 18, and they're just going to fucking let someone die rather than admit they had like a kegger. Right. And like, got into a fist fight or something. It's like, just so sad. 
Yeah, it's really sad. So more more information that this Marlene person drummed up. Um, in interviewing several students, she learned that Jack's fraternity was not officially recognized by the university and it allegedly was uh, frequented by several unsavory members. His, quote, big brother in the fraternity was allegedly a major cocaine dealer on campus. Oh. Um, it's not known if his fraternity brothers were involved in his death. Um, a weird detail is that a bartender was charged with serving drinks to Jack the night that he was last seen. Um, Jack was a minor at the time of his death. The charges against the bartender were later dropped when a witness could not identify him in court. Um, hmm. Yeah, so according to some mysteries, this is still unsolved. After the case aired, the telecenter was contacted by the current district attorney of Indiana County who pledged to follow up on any new leads that may be developed by the program. However, it's not known if any were produced. Um, in 2005, Jack's family was contacted by a retired Indiana borough police officer. He claimed that Jack had come to him for protection just two weeks prior to his death. It is not known why he did not contact them or the police sooner. Really? Marlene believes that Jack was attacked by someone he knew. Despite the new lead, the case remains a mystery. Yeah, that's right. That's not, that is mysterious. It's so weird to me to think that like people, like these young college students would have like major enemies but i mean oh i i you 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 enemies you know who you are and you better not be listening to this podcast (laughs) i mean liz has many enemies but the enemies i made in college are the enemies i keep for life (laughs) would any of them murder you though i mean i don't know bitch (laughs) I mean, are we talking like enemies, enemies? Like they're going to come and slit your throat? Or just no. like people that didn't like you? There was definitely a person I was like genuinely scared of. Okay. But I don't know that she would have slit my throat. <laughs> but you never know, though. Well, she wouldn't have. So I mean, yeah. I stand corrected. <laughs> um,. God, I'm assuming that this is just an accident and nobody wanted to take any responsibility, but it's really fucking sad. I feel like that's more likely. I don't, they never really explained. I mean, they kind of talked about how, like, the design of the staircase made it so, like, it would be hard to fall down. I don't really understand. I feel like you could fall down a staircase. So, like, well, I mean, if, if he was drunk when he fell and, you know, there's like hours you know he's still alive for a while to sober up it's not you think he fell when he was drunk and then laid there for 30 hours no see no someone would have had to take him somewhere else i think yeah but then why does no one know where that is yeah see it's so weird like is he in the bottom of some frat and they didn't want to admit he was there because they didn't want to get in trouble for hazing or something yeah and they end up they they hope he's gonna get better and he ends up dying and then they dump his body in the stairwell yeah i don't know that's horrible i i the frat thing is kind of interesting i hadn't thought about that ankle and that maybe yeah it was like a hazing thing or i mean the the frats at my school were so lame that they definitely were not getting into like actual fights but yeah same but i'm not actually surprised that that happens i just hadn't really thought about it um i don't know what a bummer yeah his poor parents too like, oh, we lost our son, and we were told that he was choking on his own vomit in a stairwell. Even though that clearly is impossible. Yeah. Okay, I had two mustaches in that segment. One 
uh, is called the Grieving Father. So you can wonder who that who who oh, who had that mustache. Uh, there was also a cop mustache I called the Undertuck because it was like okay, that was a a pretty sizable mustache if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I was like that part of his face was like recessed. Like his lips were like really more forward, his nose was more forward, and then the the his face grew around the mustache. Yes, yes. So it's the undertalk. Okay, I don't know why I find that unsettling. It is kind of it was an unsettling mustache, honestly. Okay, so I have the unexplained for this next segment. This is tales of psychic connection from beyond the grave. Okay. <laughs> Now we hear about three people who were researching their genealogy only to experience unexplained phenomenon. In 1948, eight-year-old Hank Jones snuck down to the basement to look through an old steamer trunk full of his family relics. It was like old photos, documents, wills, stuff like that was stored in there. And when doing this sparked a lifelong interest in his ancestry and like researching family trees. So that guy went on to be the author of the book Psychic Roots and is was supposedly one of the leading gene- genealogists in the country. He devoted his life to researching family trees. So while researching German immigrants, he became interested in someone named Diedrich Schneider. And he even hired someone in Germany to like go from village to village to like look into his research. What I was like, wow, you are never going to catch me doing that. <laughs> Don't particularly care, but whatever. He really wanted to know more about this Dietrich Snyder person. And um, it turned out that of all the names he could have picked from this group of German immigrants he was researching, the the Dietrich Snyder, the one he picked, was the one person he was actually related to by just, like, stunning coincidence. And he started... He also started to dream about these immigrants, including their home villages. And he would like write down where in his dream their village was from. And five out of seven times that was true. I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's impressive. I don't know. But what about the other two, Hank? Yeah, what it about seems the like other if this two? is truly a psychic ability, it should be five out of five, but not or seven out of seven. I mean, not five out of seven. Though I guess that did like cut down on his researching costs. Oh, that's um, <laughs> um di- so the question is, did his ancestors lead him to this information, which is what Hank thinks happened? That is he, the question. He ended up, since this is before the internet age, he ended up sending out letters to other genealogists asking if they had had similar experiences. He got nearly 200 responses, and most people said, "Yes, I know what you're talking about." We hear from a guy named David Fox, um, whose mustache is called tight-lipped. Anyway, so Dr. David Fox is a forensic psychologist from Ontario. He was particularly interested in his great-great-grandfather, Charles Fox, who had been a colonialist soldier for England and Indians Pakistan. Look, I don't know why he wanted to know more about that. Sounds bad. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that sort of seems like the thing where you go, I don't know what my great-great-grandfather did. <laughs> anyway, uh, despite his research... He didn't know what he looked like. There was no family photos that had survived. But he, like, in his head, he calls it a vision, but really he was just, like, imagining it. He was like, oh, I bet he wore this type of coat. And I, be- like, there were there that many coats back then? Well, also, the guy's in the military. So guess what? He's wearing the military uniform that he would have been wearing as a english soldier. Wow, this guy's psychic. In Asia, yeah. <laughs> um, so... 
so he has this vision of him, which is really what I, again, his imagination, the Tim in military uniform with his wife and child. So eventually he goes to a research trip to England with a friend, which seems fun, except that I don't know why they're looking into this dude, but they go to Norwich. Seems like a boring way to spend your trip. Yeah. Focus on something else. Like, um, anything. Yeah. I was going to say that like research seeing tea biscuits make sure you try every single one yeah figure out which tea biscuit is the best that would be a way better use of time than this yeah like basically everything is haunted and this is that's what you're doing okay um they went to norwich castle which is now a museum and there he saw a family portrait that seemed to him the same as his visions it was a painting from 1860 and it just shows a like guy in the military you know outfit it's like a red jacket with the medals on it and he's like sitting in a field with a wife and his kid and he was like oh my god it's him so he began searching for proof that that man in the painting was his ancestor and he looked up the medals visible on the coat and they matched up i don't know that we get any more information about whether or not that was the same person or not and I honestly, I don't care. So um, now we move on to Carol Montrose of Albany, Ohio. Well, she was, okay, this is the most interesting one. So pick, pick when you just tuned out for that last one, I get it. Now tune back in. Um, so she was interested, she was researching her family tree and she was most interested in a woman named Catherine Ruddy Steinmeier. And she was looking for the date of her death as well as her final resting place, neither of which had been recorded in like her family records. So then unrelated to that, she is randomly driving with her kid and they come across a hot air balloon and the kid wants to follow it. And I love this woman because she just is like, yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they just start, you know, following this hot air balloon in their car. They're just, you know, driving wherever the balloon goes. It's not where they would usually go. And they end up, the balloon gets very low and looks like it's going to land near this small church and cemetery. However, the balloon doesn't land. It, like, flies away. But... Carol is now at this church that's 150 miles from her home, and she looks at the cemetery, and she originally at first sees a grave that says Frederick Steinmeier, son of Kate. And she's like, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> that sounds real familiar. So she looks around the cemetery, and in the back row was Catherine's grave that she had been searching for. That's amazing. That's but wild. a hot air balloon led them there. I get why you're like, okay, that was a ghost leading me to the thing yeah. i was looking for because that's so random right and what a cool little adventure her and her kid had i love it okay so that's the end of the segment it says does did mysterious forces lead all these people to their ancestors and i go eh. that's my response i mean these people really just needed ancestry.com or whatever yeah that hadn't been invented yet they were like you know they had to follow a hot air balloon through the forest <laughs> but you had time to follow a hot air balloon through the forest yeah uh this is what the pre-internet age was like people sometimes you're like huh i don't know how i could find that piece of information and instead of just going oh well which is what i did you would go i wonder if i follow that hot air balloon (laughs) if that will lead me if that will show me that what research librarians cannot find um there was also a cop mustache and this or maybe it's for the next one. I just have written down cop mustache equals the happiness police. <laughs> Isn't that every cop mustache? Oh, this must be from your next. This is from your next. Was it the guy with the handlebar mustache? 
I don't really remember. It just says cop mustache, the happiness police. And then witness equals the world's largest neon orange caterpillar. Okay. I don't know what that's referring to. <laughs> well, it was a guy that had a giant orange mustache. Oh, okay. Okay. I do know what that is, who that is. I didn't, wouldn't categorize it as neon. I think that's what threw me off. <laughs> okay. It was bright. It was bright. <laughs> okay. So this is a missing person. Um, on August 10th, 1993, in a remote corner of the Redwood Forest, just east of Mendocino, California, a car was found stuck in the mud. The radio had been ripped out. There were small traces of blood on the dashboard and the front seat, and al- along with shredded identification papers. A few torn-up photographs were scattered nearby. The photos, the papers, and the car were all traced to 22-year-old Christy Krebs. She had worked as a chef just seven miles from where her car was found. For Christy's parents, the scene was unfortunately familiar. When Christy graduated from high school in 1989, she went off to work full-time in a local restaurant Uh, At the time, she was cheerful and upbeat, um, but she also had become infatuated and then obsessed with a married man. Um, Unfortunately, it seems apparent that Christy had some mental illness that started uh, in her early 20s. On April 30th, 1990, three years before her disappearance, she apparently began to fantasize about marrying this man. Um, She would drive around in in a, quote, euphoric daze for hours, and she once lost her way on a country road. Her car became... I was wondering how people knew this. What do you mean? Like, how did her family know that that's what she would do? That that's what she would think about? Maybe that she told them? I guess I don't know. That she was like, oh, I like to fantasize about this married dude and just drive around. She, <laughs> I don't know. I would have kept that to myself, personally. But <laughs> I didn't right. think about this while I was watching the show, but you're right. This is not something I would ever admit to. But <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it would be hard to miss. It sounds like she was having manic episodes, and I feel like it would be hard to not notice. I'm sure okay. she couldn't hide it from her family. But yeah, I guess I don't know how you would know that she was just driving around alone, euphoric and fantasizing <laughs> about this man. When I'm driving around just going, I can't wait till I marry B.D. Wong. <laughs> I don't come home and then tell people that's what i was doing yeah well i mean so that at least in this case her car got stuck in the mud i assume she needed help and probably had to explain how she ended up in the middle of nowhere lost on a country road with her car you were driving you got lost you don't have to bring up your daydreams (laughs) i guess but the car also burst into flames uh Oh, that's true. true. And she went missing. So the car was found, but she was nowhere. Um, The morning after the incident, railroad workers saw a dazed and disoriented young woman wandering along the tracks. The car fire had apparently sent Christy into a traumatic mental breakdown. One of the men recognized her and called her parents. Um, I mean, I do think being stuck in a car that's on fire, pretty traumatic. Yeah, so her dad went and picked her up, uh, but says that as they were going home, um, her behavior was becoming increasingly more bizarre. She was chanting, and he said, quote, doing weird things. I have no idea what that means. Um, And he said, he turned to his wife and said, we're not going home, we're going to the hospital. Yeah, he could tell she was like, yeah, this was not a good situation. So, um uh christy's mom wondered if she would ever be well again um they thought she might be on drugs um but 
she was tested for drugs at the hospital and she was completely sober. Um, over the next few months, Christy was in and out of the hospital and was eventually diagnosed um, as having a psychotic trauma related breakdown. Um, after therapy and drug treatments, she made a lot of progress and about six months later, things were starting to look up. Um, she was released from the hospital and her therapist recommended that she go back to work, but only part time. Um, Christy's father says that he was really happy with her progress and was pretty optimistic. She began working 10 to 12 hours a day, which is not exactly part time. That is not part time. So she did not listen. She um, was supposed but- to wa- work four hours a day. Yeah. She was recommended to work four hours a day, that that would not stress her out, hopefully. She and ends she up was working 10 to 12. 12. So not mm. great. And she did this for three years. Um, Christy's parents often worried about her manic pace, um, but she insisted that she was fine um, right up until the night she disappeared. So that night was August 9th, 9th, 1993. Christy left work in apparently high spirits, um, but she did not go straight home. She apparently drove around until at some point she veered onto a dirt road. Um, She ended up just seven miles from the spot where her previous car fire had occurred. And once again, deep in the redwoods, her car got stuck in the mud. Um, Christy's father believes that his daughter was suffering from another psychotic break. Um, He believes she probably had flashbacks. Um, It probably felt like she was reliving that nightmare because it was eerily similar. Um, And he he thinks that it was just all too much. Um, And he thinks that the last thing she did was go through her wallet in frustration. He's not sure if she maybe didn't recognize the pictures of her families and and friends. And so she ripped them up. Um, Or if she thought she was perhaps like destroying her past, trying to get away from it. He's not really sure. But I mean, they're good theories. Um, But he ultimately says that he is just horrified by what his daughter probably went through. Um, so the authorities think that before she abandoned her car, Christy changed into a gym outfit that she always carried with her. Her work clothes were found soaking wet um, and neatly folded in the back seat. The next morning, there was a full-scale search, um, but no trace of Christy was found. Um, over the next few months, several sightings were reported in Texas and then in Salt Lake City, and finally a year later in California. On June 30th, 1994, just outside the farming town of Vesalia, California, an off-duty highway worker named Mike Case. Is this the redhead? Uh, sure. I honestly don't remember. I don't remember. I didn't write down what he looked like. But he, oh no, he had a handlebar mustache. A very large handlebar mustache, I think, that was kind of smaller on one side. Hmm. What should we call that one? Uh, you're the mustache namer. All right, let me wait. Let me just tap into the cosmos here. Uh, ooh, um, hmm. Hmm. The universe says that that mustache is named the thoughtless appendage. <laughs> All right, well, the universe has spoken. <laughs> I can't explain it. It's just, just how it is. So Mike Case and his thoughtless appendage picked up a hitchhiker. <laughs> I don't know if that immediately that screams mustache, but you know what? My case was actually a, a good guy. So <laughs> it's very funny when you say it. <laughs> well, when you say it like that, uh, it's it sounds a little bit suspect. But anyway, look, I'm just a conduit. 
I I can't be held responsible for the mustache names. They are what they are. They came from the universe. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he picked up a hitchhiker who he says looks ju- looked just like Christy. Um, he said it was about 300 miles south of the spot where her car was abandoned. Um, at first, he thought that she could be on drugs because she was acting very strangely. But after he started talking to her, um, he knew that uh, probably she was actually just in, quote, a world of her own. Um he said he did notice that there were two slash marks on her wrist and uh, he asked her about it. And she said that uh, she, she said, quote, I had a breakdown. Um, so Mike dropped Christy off at an intersection near Hanford, California. A week later, he read an article about Christy's disappearance and contacted her parents. They immediately sent photographs, which he reviewed and he was convinced that the person he picked up was Christy. So Christy's mother is hopeful that Christy is still alive. Um, Her parents now believe that uh, one of the most credible sightings is from a woman who picked up a a female hitchhiker between Salt Lake City and Park City, Utah. The woman was able to describe details about Christy's clothing that had never been released to the public. Um, And let me see. Sorry, I didn't have the Unsolved Mysteries wiki pulled up. I wanted to see if there was an update. I feel like there wasn't. Samantha, how dare you? Uh, Christy Krebs, Unsolved Mysteries. I'm sorry that Christy's name sounds like a SpongeBob SquarePants reference. It really does. Okay, so, oh, this is, there's a long update on Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. All right, buckle up. So this is Unsolved. After the broadcast and several re-airings of Christy's case, police received several reported sightings of her in various places, including Mississippi, Iowa, and across the Midwest. One witness said that she told him she was headed to Santa Cruz. Her uncle had once lived in Santa Cruz. This could have been credible. However, none of the other sightings were ever, none of the sightings were ever confirmed to be her. One of the most credible sightings, according to Christie's family, uh, was a woman named Alicia Larson, who picked up a hitchhiker on August 11th, 1993, two days after Christie disappeared. She believes that the hitchhiker was Christie. Alicia saw the woman hitchhiking near the intersection of Interstate 80 and another highway in Salt Lake City, Utah. She thought the woman was at a dangerous spot on the road, so she agreed to pick her up. When the woman got in the car, she said, you're looking at the happiest girl in the world. This was a phrase commonly used by Christie. During the ride, the woman who identified herself as Chris, which was Christie's nickname, said that she had fallen in love with a trucker she had recently met. The two were going to meet in Amarillo, Texas, where they were going to get married. She also said she was afraid of the police and could not go back home because it would put her parents at risk. Alicia did not believe the story. She believed that the woman was, quote, in a world of her own, which is also what the truck driver said. Um, She later dropped her off near McDonald's in Park City, Utah. As the woman got out of the car, she said, Burger King is better. That's not true. Christy! It's not, not, but that's that's, that's an interesting detail. Uh, So Alicia did not think anything of the encounter until several months later when she saw Christy's missing persons flyer at a truck stop. Alicia described pink shorts and other gym clothes, which were identical to the ones that Christy was believed to have been wearing when she disappeared. Alicia also described the woman's walk, smile, and other mannerisms, which matched Christie's. Furthermore, Alicia said that the woman was, quote, euphoric and, quote, the fantasy type story that she seemed uh, that she told seemed to match the one that Christie would often tell. Um, Finally, Christie was working at Burger King before she disappeared. So, okay, so that's the reference. 
Um, if Christy was still alive today, she would be in her 50s. So this sighting of Christy does sound legit. That sounds very credible. But it also happened two days after she disappeared. So um, really, I mean, at hmm. a certain point, it's no longer that helpful. But it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, Christy didn't die where her car was found. So she went somewhere. Um, I guess she went to Utah. I don't. It's just it sucks. Like, what happened to her? Yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say, why would she be wearing the same clothes that she went missing with? But it's only been a couple of days. It was only two days later. Um, God, yeah, maybe she did fall in love with a trucker. I thought she couldn't go home for some reason. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she's out there with her trucker, living a good life. I I hope so. I feel like that's yeah. not the case, but I don't think so either. But I'm gonna hope that. Yeah, it all worked out. Poor Christy. Poor family. Christy's family. What? It just sucks. It sucks because you know that she's out there, probably alive, and you have no way to find her. Yeah. So. Also, she thinks Burger King is good. So that's that's a cry for help. Yeah. <laughs> Burger King is terrible. Although you can get ices there. It's their only redeeming quality. Um, Their fries are real bad. They're so bad. Why are they so bad? They're like chicken. Have you ever had their like chicken fries? No, actually, I've had very few things for Burger King because I just think it's gross. I mean, it's been like <laughs> so many years since I've ate out of Burger King, but they're so bad. So bad. Huh. Huh. Not a, they're not a McNugget, that's for sure. Well, okay. I had not been to a Burger King in maybe like 20, 30 years. <laughs> and then last October, I got inspired by the purple stuff to go because they were doing ghost pepper nuggets. Oh, right. For Halloween. And I was like, whatever. I I will I'll I want to try these ghost nuggets. So we went to a a Burger King and Mac asked if they had them and they were like, Yeah, yeah, we got nuggets. Well, they turned out to just be like the regular nuggets. Ones. And then the rest of the food was terrible obviously it's burger king so we were like well that's the worst dinner that we just had to eat our food that was not what we wanted and we were miserable but anyway um wow. i'm just deflecting because i don't want to think about how sad this story is it's awful okay we've got one more we've got a lost love it doesn't get any happier though this is the story of walter thomas who after his father passed away in 1993 he was also there's a lot of people looking through family papers in this episode but <laughs> His father passes away, and then he does what Robert Stack acts like this is a very common thing that happens after somebody dies, and maybe it was, but it's just like he had a lot. He has his father's lockbox, and he, like, gets his family around to, like, see what's in the lockbox, which is, like, you know, a will and birth certificates and stuff like that, right? It's just it's like the family's important papers. But what they were surprised to find in there was a birth certificate for a brother he never knew he had. Yeah, this is wild. Would be quite a surprise. Um, it is funny to me that Robert Stack goes on at length about how every family has this mysterious has a mysterious box. I was like, yeah, I don't think my parents have. But he's like, everybody wants to look through that box, and I was like, I don't. It's like, what are you talking about? Everybody has a mystery box. I mean, <laughs> I guess just like you're. I, so many things are electronic now this probably doesn't apply but i guess maybe you would keep it all in your like bank deposit box I, I so it did, but it's like not a secret yeah like I, I mean like my mom has like boxes of 
photos, but like I could go look at. It's no, not like I have to wait can't. till she dies to crack those open. You can't look at anything. Until this is a very funny dead. concept that they made such a big to do about everyone. It's the moment everyone waits for their whole lives. Yeah, for your parents' mystery to be, box. For your parents to be dead, so you can finally go through their stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird. Long intro on that. Um. Anyway, so Walter finds out that he has a brother, apparently, he never knew about, named Philip. He explains that his mother suffered from what was referred to as a, quote, occasional mental lapses. So he had, like, a very, like, caring, loving parents, but his mother struggled. And I don't know what we would diagnose this with that now, but she would just sometimes, like get up and start wandering aimlessly through the neighborhood and nobody would know where she was and they would have to go looking for her. Um, and when they would find her, sometimes she was happy to see them and sometimes she didn't even know who they were. Um, eventually, she was admitted to a hospital. I feel like maybe she had early onset dementia or something. It's It does kind of sound like that. Um, we kind of don't really have enough information, but basically sometimes she would just like not know where she was or who people were and would be like cut i guess trying to figure that out by wandering around and yeah nobody would know where she was anyway um so eventually she was admitted to a hospital um while his dad was at work walter and his siblings were watched by his grandmother which was not okay with child services for some fucking reason that child services comes up at some point that they were they like show up and they're saying like these kids are not in an okay conditions and they wanted to take them away, and his grandma has to like run them off the property. <laughs> which I'm not sure is really a solution to that problem, but his brother, Philip John Thomas, was born in April of 48 while his mother was in the hospital. So he never knew that she was pregnant or had given birth because she was already in the hospital for these psychological reasons. And it also explains why the child was given up for adoption. Like the mom was really in no place to care for an infant. Um, the grandmother is clearly already overwhelmed with the Walter and his siblings. And the dad is working, right? Like, who's going to take care of this baby? So, orig- uh, reluctantly, that child was given up for adoption. So, now Walter is trying to find his brother. However, all the adoption documents have been sealed. So, he has to... He was appearing in, like, newspaper articles and on television trying to, like, catch his brother's attention. Uh, eventually he located an old neighbor named phyllis who knew philip as a child and her story was that she had grown up in a foster home under the care of a woman named mary teft and that philip had also lived there for a few years before he was adopted so she had bonded with him sort of as a brother in this foster home but then he was adopted one day and she literally never saw him again so that's really sad um Unfortunately, when the segment is done, we get an update. We learn that a private investigator discovered that Philip died in 1989 at the age of 41. So great. He was already dead. Um, He never got to know Walter or his family. Um, Yeah, sucks. Really sucks. Cool. Okay, that's the end. (laughs) Finally. Yay. (laughs) So let's rate it. Okay, mysteriousness. Honestly, pretty mysterious. What the fuck happened to Christy? Where is Christy? What the fuck happened to the college student? I already don't remember his name. Jack. Yeah, what yeah. happened to him? What happened to these people? And did a hot air balloon lead that woman 
to the forest to her long lost ancestors. Yes, that's fucking weird as hell. What are the odds of that? They seem very slim. <laughs> yes, they do. Someone work out what the odds of that would be because I'm guessing it's yeah, a billion to one. Um, yeah, super sorry. mysterious. Thumbs super up. Super mysterious. Um, Reenactments? I mean, fine, unremarkable. Yeah, I guess they're okay. Nothing really stood out. No. Thumbs down, I guess. Yeah. Uh, fashion. Again, nothing. We even have these things from like the the older past, and we still didn't really get any good clothes. No, I'm not really into it. No, and thumbs down. Robert Stack obsessed with old lock boxes. <laughs> Weird, <laughs> Robert Stack. Yeah, Weird. it did um, kind of make me want to go get a safety deposit box, which I don't have. I feel um, like you should should have a mysterious chest of of mysteries that can only be opened after your death. That actually sounds great. You're right. Um, start working on that we recently read a book or part of a book called doomed and famous which i don't really recommend that's a bunch of obituaries this guy wrote if you're wondering what uh the new york elite will say about the other new york elite after they die well then that's the book for you but um (laughs) in the introduction he talked about um when he hears about something bad happening in someone's life he he goes oh that'll be good for their obit and i just want i just want to bring that to the five as a, a, I don't a know phrase if, i mean it's a yeah. way to live your life yeah exactly it's a, it's a philosophy really yeah that, i really hated that book but from now on anytime anything notable or exciting happens to me or anyone around me i'm gonna say like, oh, that's good, good for, for the, the obit good for the obit so, write that down. um yeah like if a hot air balloon leads you to the grave of a long lost ancestor like yeah that's good for the that is good for the obit and i mean none of us i I don't i mean i assume none of you listening uh are wealthy art critics and art (laughs) traders uh so you don't have a personal obituous obituous i can't fucking pronounce Uh, that but someone will follow you around to all your your fancy parties and write down what you're doing in your life so that they can write your obituary when you die uh, so you got to do this yourself. You got to yeah. be your own obituarist. Yeah. Uh, and remember when things are good for the obit and write them down. I also feel like it's a good way to think about your life because it's very easy, particularly if you have anxiety or depression that's always lying to you. It's very easy to feel like, oh, I've done nothing. But if you sum it up your whole life in a few sentences, it probably sounds pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something else. I don't even really remember why I started talking about this. But... Also, if you're a wealthy New York art <laughs> critic, uh, patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. Seriously, you owe us so much. We've given you so much inspiration. Yeah. So, yeah, you, yeah, you owe us. <laughs> You've got too many boats and yeah, it's time to give us one of them. Oh, wait. So we talked about Robert we Stack. Didn't, we didn't rate the episode. So on our Robert Stack scale, I don't, Three. I, don't, I didn't like this one. I'm never going to watch it again. I'll probably immediately forget about it. It's very forgettable. Despite having two of the things that are pretty mysterious in it as a whole, when we I watched this a little while ago and took notes on it. And when we sat down to talk about it, I was honestly like, yeah, what did happen in that first segment? <laughs> like, I just couldn't remember. Because it's not yeah. that interesting. It's just that it, I feel like it particularly that first segment i feel like if it wasn't about the investigators and it's actually about that case it would have been better yeah agreed i and... didn't really care about serial whacked no um and i just feel like this episode could have used a happier last love because it's just a downer overall agreed 
I, I'm giving it a three, but it's like a limp three. It's a modest three. Same. I'm not like, it's like a whatever. Could the, I wish just that noise could somehow be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So we rated it and enthusiastically. God. Do you have any recommendation? Uh, really, not uh, not really i really don't either and i was sitting here before we started recording like like struggling to be like what has brought me joy i feel like i live my life so much to just like find things that give me dopamine and then just like keep mm-hmm. hitting that button mm-hmm. and that's all that gets me through life it's but been then hard I, lately but then i was like okay so what's that thing and i was like uh you know what i've been enjoying lately uh uh, and this is like the most simple thing ever, but it has been bringing me a, a modicum of joy. Iced coffee and brewing cold mm. brew at home. Um, I recently bought uh, from Jeff Bezos himself. Uh, <laughs> I bought uh-huh. a cold brew maker, which is just a pitcher with a like built a mechanism. Like it has a built in filter that you screw okay. into the cap of the pitcher and you fill that up with coffee. You fill up your pitcher with water, leave it in your fridge overnight and it's so convenient. You just have to open the top and pour out your your cold brew. There's a million ways to make cold brew. You just literally need a filter and a container. But this is like it keeps it all contained. It's very convenient. It was like, I don't know, 12 fucking dollars or something. And I've been making cold brew every single day. And it's summer. It's hot. Um, it's been really nice to uh, just drink some some cold coffee. So I assume there will be no cold coffee cold brew in hell so i'm trying to enjoy it now <laughs> enjoy it now enjoy it during hell on earth yeah and i don't know why i was this year old this year is old i've been in the coffee bit i was in the coffee biz for a long time i don't know why i just found out that they make these specially designed pitchers for cold brew but if you didn't know that, that was a thing and you like cold brew you should get you one because it's very easy and I, lord knows i need the caffeine uh, my mom makes, I can't have it, sadly, but my mom makes a very great iced coffee recipe that basically tastes like coffee ice cream. Mm. So I'll see if I can get her to share that with the five listeners. Because Absolutely. That sounds wonderful. I'm I usually sure drink sugar. black uh, coffee, but at cold brew, I like to put a little cream in, cream in okay. it. So I feel like whatever this is your mom makes, I'm probably going to really dig it. Mom, we need that. We need that recipe. We need that cold brew recipe, Liz's mom. Hit us up. Um, I hate doing music recommendations on here because I know that you do not care even a little. Well, I just did a coffee recommendation. <laughs> you, something you don't consume, so it's fine. Okay, okay. But I'm going <laughs> to make a recommendation to any of the five listeners that, like me, really likes a sad song. Uh, I like sad songs when I'm happy. I like sad songs when I'm sad. They pretty much always hit the spot. So if you also would like to listen to some sad music, I'm going to recommend a musical artist, Matt Maltese, who I've been listening to so, so much. Specifically, there is a there is a playlist on Spotify that I think is literally called Matt Maltese Songs Ranked in Order of Sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Let me make sure that that's right. Um... Which, by the way, is an amazing service that someone did that. Like, thank you. Also, yeah. Mott Maltese songs ranked in order of sadness. This is from user Liv. 
I also the description of this this playlist says I hope he goes to therapy, comma you too. <laughs> Which fair enough. Okay, and then it's yeah, yeah. literally so I mean it's, the level of sadness is subjective. They're all pretty sad. But um damn, this playlist really hits the spot. If you're looking for yeah, just kind of music about what state we're in. <laughs> uh feeling real sad about it this is really this has been really hitting the spot for me so enjoy see we each came up with something there you go i saw him in march i think it was god it was lovely god i had so much more hope in march um yeah there you go we both came up with something i'm sure everybody is very proud of us i'm proud of us for just doing this you're so right <laughs> um yeah it's, it's been so many years it's kind of amazing uh-huh i just oh i just meant today this episode but yeah in general <laughs> also the whole podcast oh, yeah no both though but continuing the continuing on my coach on. right now asleep yeah exactly my other recommendation is just like get on as many naps as you can yes you need the rest trust me you need it <laughs> We all need yeah. it. Okay. So thank you, friends, enemies. Good riddance. Goodbye. We're done with you. Keep barking. Everybody keep barking. Hang Bye. in there. Bye. Bye. Bye.